This is week number five of the series entitled Bless. How do you live the great commandment and the great commission? Uh, let me take a moment here just to backtrack a little bit and walk us back to what we've been through. Through this series, we've been going through the fact that you are a blessed person, that God has blessed you. Um, who confirms that blessing upon you? Who places that blessing upon you? God himself does. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, All praise to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because you are united with Christ. God has blessed you. In Genesis 12, verse 2, when God pronounced a blessing over Abraham, we, as his heritage, as his lineage, are also inheritors of this blessing. Look what it says in Genesis 12, 2. It says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. This is, the, this is God speaking a blessing over Abraham and all his descendants, of which we, as believers in Christ, are. God saying, I will bless you, make you famous, and look at this last part, and you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing to others. Through this series, we've been going through how do we bless others. We're not talking about how do you convert others? How do you make others into followers of Christ? The truth is we have no power to change anyone. You have no power to convert anyone. But God will use you to bless people to bring them into his kingdom. Amen? And you will be a blessing to people. So how do you practically bless people? Uh, through this series, we've been going through those five steps. We call them the bless practices. I have a picture here of some icons. I'll just go through them very briefly. The first one there is the starting point, and the B in the bless stands for begin with prayer. One of the ways you, you bless people is you pray for them. God gives you a burden for a coworker, for a family member, for a friend, for a classmate, and you begin to pray for them. And, and the simplest way you could bless someone is simply lifting them up in prayer before the Lord and saying, God, give me wisdom and give me courage to, to bless this person. You stop, you become aware of them, you pray for them, you bless them. Two weeks ago, we talked about how you listen to somebody, right? And we talked about how listening is a skill. And, and when you bless someone, sometimes just having a conversation where you, you hear not their words or their information that they're really giving you or what you're going to say back to them, but you listen to them to understand them, right? Who remembers those H's, right? You hear for their history, for their heart, for their hopes, for their hurts. That's what we listen for. You bless someone. And then last week, we talked about eat together. Eat together. You share a cup of coffee. You share a meal with somebody, letting them know, hey, you're important to me. I want to come get to know you. I want to I hear your story. We eat together. These are simple ways that we become blessings to one another. Uh, did we have the handouts available for everyone? Did we get those? We have them. Amen. All right. At the very top, uh, this is a point that this is the big idea of this whole series. Uh, I, I've been reminding you of this weekly, um, is that we are not meant to fulfill this great mission that Jesus gave us to love God and to love people and to make disciples. You cannot do that alone. Okay, there's a presumption here that you're going to have people in your life, that you're going to have friends and family that you're gathering with, sisters and brothers in Christ. So I want you to fill this into your notes here. We are not meant to pursue our mission, our Jesus mission solo. You're not meant to pursue it on your own. Life is lived together. That's why I love this series that's going to follow this one. 
that's called life together. How do we live life together? So that's the big idea here, to pursue the Jesus mission, the one that he gives us to love God and to love people and to make disciples. You cannot do that alone. You'll have to be with people. And what do we want to do to people? We want to bless people. We do that by praying for them, by listening to them, by eating together. And today we're going to be talking about serving. How do you serve with love? The first S in bless stands for serve with love. Before we talk about serving, um, there's a show that I came across recently. I didn't know the show existed, uh, but this is a show on Discovery Channel, I believe, and it's called Dirty Jobs. Has anyone ever heard of this show called Dirty Jobs? It's really actually kind of interesting. This guy here, he's a Hollywood guy, Mike Rowe. He's kind of known as a home fixer-upper kind of guy, handyman. Uh, he goes around the country traveling for like the, the most disgusting jobs that people have, and he does them. He actually, for like a week, joins the company and he does the work. Uh, he's been a sewer inspector, okay? That's kind of gross. A garbage collector, and once he even worked in an ink factory where they made black ink and he would walk out of work literally um, black or blue or whatever color they were making from head to toe. I mean, from head to toe, you could only see his eyes. And he does these dirty jobs. And uh, when you think about maybe your house, is there a dirty job in your house that no one wants to do? What is that job? Probably the toilet, right? No one likes cleaning the toilet. Maybe it's handling the trash. But somebody has to do the dirty job, right? And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I'm blessed that we have sewer inspectors that we could rely on to do that job. Because that's a job I wouldn't want to do. It's kind of gross. It's kind of nasty. Jesus, in the Gospel of John chapter 13, does a dirty job. He does a job that nobody wants to do. He does a job that most people would find actually pretty disgusting to do. But Jesus does it, and in doing so, he gives us the example of how we can bless people by serving them. It's one of the most humbling, one of the most touching moments of all of Scripture as Jesus shows us how to bless others. And here's a key idea. I want you to write this into your notes as well. To bless your neighbor, because that's what we're talking about here. To bless your neighbor, Jesus invites you to serve them. You want to bless somebody, serve them. Serve them. Jesus shows us that. I, I would go further and say that the Bible makes it clear that not only does Jesus invite you to serve others, you've been called to serve others. Can I show it to you? That you've been called, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not, are not only invited, Jesus takes it a step higher and he calls you out and calls you in. To serve others. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul saying, You, my brothers, this is a general term, this is men, women. He's saying, You followers of Christ, you are called to be free. So God called you out of a legalistic relationship with God into a place of freedom where now you have relationship with God. So you've been called into this freedom. But do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, use your freedom to do what? To serve. To serve one another. In what? In love. The connection between calling and serving. If you will call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are not only invited to serve people, you are called to do it. 
To use the freedom that you have in him to bless other people. Now, I know when we hear that word called, many of you think, well, that's just for like priests or, or nuns or, or, or pastors or, or, or people in clergy. I'm not, I'm not called. No, you're called. You're called. And you're called to what? To serve. To serve one another in love. I love what Rick Warren says. Many people have the misconception that being called by God is something only for missionaries, pastors, nuns, and other church leaders experience. But the Bible says everyone is called to serve God. Everyone is called to serve God. By what? By serving others. By serving others. You've been called into this relationship to serve others. And, and this is a hard truth to take, right? Especially in our culture. Because in our culture, we, we are a very self-serving culture, aren't we? A lot of times I, I see when there's a need, a, a lot of people are totally okay just being very quiet. Right? There's a need. Everyone looks around like, who's going to step up and do it? Please don't pick me. There's that awkward silence, right? And many people are okay. Hey, I'm guilty of that sometimes. I'll see a need, but hey, I'm busy. I got my own agenda. I got my own things going on. I don't really want to step up and fill that need. So I'll make myself very small. I'll make myself very quiet. And I hope someone else steps up to fill that need. But that's kind of how we flow in our culture of the day. Our motivation is to make ourselves bigger, to serve ourselves, and not so much serve others. There's a thought here, especially in the West, where the more power you accumulate, the more influence you accumulate. Hey, the more you could get people to do things for you, the better off you will be, right? It's kind of like capitalism at its most essential. The more people will do for me, the better off I will be. And here Jesus is challenging this. And I feel like as believers, we need to shift our thinking when it comes to serving others. And not be so self-serving, but become more selfless in how we serve others. We are in need of a paradigm shift. You know, there's, there's been times in history where things have shifted. I think back uh, over 100 years ago with the invention of the automobile. The whole world shifted. It changed everything. The way we travel, the way we move, the way we live, the way we function. It was a paradigm shift. Uh, one more current, the invention of the internet. Man, that shifted everything, didn't it? The way we look for information, the way we find information, the way we connect with one another was, was, was changed, was altered permanently because of the invention of the internet. A, a long time ago, in 1894, there was a meeting of physicists in England. And this guy here, his name is Lord Kelvin. I have a picture of him. He's a very smart looking guy. He was the world's most leading physicist. And Lord Kelvin, in this meeting of the top minds in the field of physics, uh, stood up and said this. He said, there's nothing left to learn when it comes to physics. There's nothing left to learn at all. We've discovered everything. We could fine tune some things, but hey guys, we've done it. We've solved the puzzle. There's nothing left to learn. He dropped the mic. I don't think there was a mic, but he dropped whatever thing he was using to speak. And everyone clapped and everyone said, we've arrived. We've solved physics. 11 years later, this guy comes around. The second guy. Do we have a picture of him? So 11 years later, this guy shows up. 
And basically, he blew up the whole idea that we know everything that we knew about physics because he had something called the theory of relativity, which flipped the world of physics on its head. And it shifted. It shifted something because it changed the way people thought. It changed the way people understood things. It changed the way people acted. And in John 13, we see Jesus make this shift. He shifts things. And the shift that Jesus does is this. Jesus lays down his crown. He lays down his crown. And Jesus puts on an apron. Wow. He's shifting the thoughts of the disciples, what it meant to be great. What it meant to be his follower. What it meant to be a person who loves Jesus. Jesus is teaching them, hey, you want to be great in this world? You want to bless people in this world? It's not about holding on to your crown and expanding your crown. It's about laying your crown down and putting on an apron. And that's what Jesus teaches us today. The love to serve people like this. So let's join into this story here in John 13. We're going to be reading from verse number 3. And, and this is Jesus at the table, again, like we talked about last week, Jesus using dinner to teach, using dinner, a meal to show, using dinner to connect, to understand. He knows this is the last kind of uh, group meeting he's going to have with, with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And Jesus decides that his last moments with the disciples on this side of the cross, he will spend teaching them about serving one another. So John chapter 13, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God, and that he would return to God. Very important that you don't lose that. Jesus has authority over everything. This is the King of kings. This is the Lord of lords. This is God, the creator of the universe. All power, all dominion are in his hand in that very moment, and Jesus understands that he has this power. He gets up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. You have to understand a couple of details about this scenario. Uh, dinner in the first century Jerusalem was done at a very low table. It wasn't a table that sat high like this or even one about this height. These tables sat maybe a half a foot off the ground. So when people gathered to eat, they would lay down usually on their side at the table, which means their feet were extended out, um, which meant if you were next to somebody, their feet could be like right next to you as you were eating. Okay, That's, that was just the setup. It was a low table. They, they laid on their side. I know we see Da Vinci's painting where they're all sitting at a table. They were not sitting. There was no stools. These, these men were laying on their sides, gathered at a very low table. And the likelihood of someone's feet very, being very close to your face was very good. Especially when you had 13 people in a small space. Now the other thing you need to think about is that foot hygiene is not like we have today, right? There was no pedicures, there was no t toenail shops, there was no creams and lotions, there was no shoes. Most people walked around barefoot. That means dust, dirt was in their toes um, with other things, with sweat and with grime. 
And because um, people often walked with their, with their wild animals, it was very common that you would be walking and you would step in some, some nastiness, okay? And that would get in your toes as well. So foot hygiene is not like it was today. There was no toe, closed-toed shoes. Everything was open toe or no shoes at all. So people's feet were absolutely filthy. Filthy. And you had to eat dinner maybe with someone's feet right next to your face. Now, it was custom that when you ate dinner, people would wash their feet for that reason. No one wants to wash or eat with dirty feet in their face. So, so people would wash their feet. Now, who would wash the feet? Usually, it was a servant in the home who would wash the feet of the guests. But here, they were not in a home. They were in this upper room. There was no servants. So they're probably sitting around the dinner table looking at each other. And they're like us, right? Probably looking around like, okay, who's going to step up? Who's going to wash the feet? I'm not going to wash the feet. You got 13 pairs of funky feet here. Somebody needs to step up and wash the feet. Nobody steps up. What does Jesus do? Jesus is aware of the opportunity. And using this as a teachable moment, he puts down his crown. All authority, all power are his. He puts an apron around his waist, fills a basin with water, and what? He washes the feet of the disciples. Shift of saying you want to have power in this world. It's not about what you accumulate. It's not about what you increase. It's about what you release. Let's keep reading verse 6. Jesus is going around washing the feet. He comes to Simon Peter. Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? It's a great question. Peter's feeling the awkwardness. Peter was one of the guys who didn't say anything. He didn't volunteer to wash the people's feet. And now he sees the master. He sees the Messiah. He sees the teacher washing the feet. And now he begins to feel awkward. It's kind of like this. Imagine you invited some, some VIPs to your house for dinner. Imagine you invited, say, um, Michael Jordan or, or LeBron James to your house for dinner. And they have dinner. And then after they eat, Michael Jordan gets up, goes to your bathroom, and starts cleaning your toilet. Some of you would say, amen, let him do it, because <laughs> I'm not doing it. But some of you might get a little bit weirded out by that. Like, no, no, you, hey, you're not, you're, you're Michael, you're, you're not supposed to be doing this. And now this is totally Peter right now. He's looking at Jesus and he's saying, hey, you, you're not supposed to be doing this. It really should be one of us. Are you really going to wash my feet, Jesus? Look at Jesus' response in verse 7. Again, Jesus listening Two weeks ago, we talked about listening for information, listening for your response, or listening to understand a person. Jesus hears the heart of Peter, and instead of saying, yeah, dumb, dumb, I am going to wash your feet. Now sit down and shut up and let me wash. That would be listening to respond, but Jesus hears his heart. Look at Jesus' response. You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Peter does not understand this moment. Jesus continues and he says, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So now Peter changes and he says, then wash my hands, wash my head, not just my feet, Lord. What was Jesus teaching them? Jesus was teaching them, you know, right now I'm washing your feet, Peter, but in a few hours I'm going to go to the cross 
And on that cross, I will spill blood that will wash your whole entire life and everyone's life permanently. So unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. So please, Peter, let me serve you. Once Peter understands, he says, Lord, just not my feet, but everything. Surrender. Jesus would serve his disciples by washing their feet, but then a few hours later, he would serve us by enduring the cross. So here's the first point I want you to know. This is key point number one. To bless your neighbor, Jesus invites you to serve them. Key point number two is that we are to be attentive. We are to be attentive to the opportunities God provides you to care for people and attend to their needs. When you are blessing somebody, when you're listening, there needs to be attention paid to the person's life. Here, Jesus hears Peter's heart. He's attentive, not only to his feet being dirty. Jesus saw that. That's easy, right? You listen to people, hey, they're moving into a new apartment. I'll I'll show up. I'll help you move the couch. Not a problem. That's an easy thing. That's an easy need to fulfill. You only need to be half awake to realize that need. But there's some needs that you will have to be really attentive to. And when Peter says, no, Jesus, you will not wash my feet. Jesus is attentive to the spiritual soul needs that Peter has. To understand the great love that Jesus would have to him, that he would go to a cross and pay the price of Peter's sin so that Peter could walk in freedom. That takes a special attentiveness. And when you serve people, you should serve people with an attentiveness to their life and say, hey, I see a need here. I'm going to fill it. I'm going to fill it for you. Why? Not because I'm invited to serve, because I'm called to serve. Because I'm called to serve. So be attentive. Be attentive to the opportunities God provides you to care, to show care, to show the love of God for people and attend to their needs. Let's continue here in verse 12. Jesus is now done washing their feet. He puts on his robe again. He sits down and he asks them, do you understand what I was doing? It's a great question Jesus asks them. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I am your Lord and teacher, I have washed your feet. Now listen to this. I have washed your feet. You ought to wash others' feet. There's Jesus calling them in to serve others. Hey, I have washed your feet. Now you go and wash others' feet. Verse 15, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done unto you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Verse 17, now that you know these things, now that you know that you ought to wash others' feet, now that you know that you ought to serve others, God will bless you for doing them. God has blessed you so that you can bless others. And listen, you might say, no one's ever washed my feet. Maybe someone has washed your feet. But if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, he has washed your soul. And he has washed your, 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 your sin away from you. 
And he's presented you righteous before his Father in heaven. And because Jesus has blessed you that way, you are now a carrier of that blessing that you could go and provide that to others as well. You could lead them to that place. This is Jesus inviting us into this way of living. Go and do unto others as I have done unto you. Now, let's begin to wrap this up. What was motivating Jesus to do this? What was motivating Jesus to do this? Why would Jesus choose this last supper to teach this lesson to his disciples? What was, what was motivating him? This is so important because if you're going to be a person who's, who's motivated to get up off the couch or off, out of your schedule, out of your Google calendar, you know, allow yourself to be disrupted a little bit. If you're going to be a person who is motivated to serve others, only one thing will get you up off the couch. Only one thing. And it's the same thing that motivated Jesus to wash these men's feet. And, and here's where we find it. Let's go back to verse 1 in chapter 13. This is the same chapter, but in verse 1, it says, Before the Passover celebration, before this dinner, Jesus knew that the hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He knew the cross was there. Now look at this. He had loved his disciples. He had loved his disciples during the ministry on earth. And he chose, he chose, he was intentional. He was motivated to what? To love them until the end. He was going to love them until the very end. So here's the third key point. You could write this in your notes. You model the love of God when you choose to serve others. This is so important because we could think, well, I'm just shoveling their snow. No, it's so much more than that. Well, I'm just babysitting their kids. No, it's so much more than that. Well, I'm just, you know, running an errand for somebody. Really, it's just like, it's just running an errand. No, you are modeling the love of God to somebody when you choose to stop your life and to serve them the way Jesus served his disciples. You model the love of Christ. And if there's one thing the people will measure you on, and scriptures say this, what is it that we're measured against? How will people know that we're his disciples? Is it by the great sermons we preach? No. Is it by the great books we write? No. Is it by the wonderful worship songs we sing? Absolutely not. The way the world will know that we are his disciples is the way that we what? Love one another. The way we love one another. And if there's a sign that the world is waiting for that Christians are authentic and real in their relationship with God, it's in the way we show love for one another. And one of the ways that you can show love for a person is simply by what? Serving them. Serving them. Jesus chose to love his disciples to the very end. So here's three things. On the bottom of your notes, there's three Ps here, uh, which are things to consider, things I, I would say think about when, when you're choosing to serve somebody, okay? Um, the first one is uh, proximity, okay? Think proximity. Jesus served those who were in front of him. Jesus chose the people who were right there. Now listen, I know when, 
we get ideas to serve. Some people say, man, you know, I want to go uh, plant coral in Australia and the Great Barrier Reef. I want to go help build homes in Africa for people who's lost them to earthquakes. We want to do great things, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you have dreams or visions of going on a missions trip to another country to serve people, then go for it. But God has planted you in your school. God has planted you in your workplace. God has planted you here in this church, and that is also your mission field. The people you should be serving the most are the ones that are right in front of your face. That's who Jesus served. So when you think of who you're going to serve, think proximity. Who is close to me? Who are the people that God is calling me to serve? You'll often find the greatest opportunities are people that are right there. You're in church for about 90 minutes a week, but you're at your job for 30, 40, 50, some of you 60, even more hours per week. That means you have much more opportunity to to serve and to show the love of God there than you do here. But do we see it that way? Do we think proximity? Jesus served those who were right there in front of him. When you're choosing to serve people, do it personally. Do it personally. Jesus served people face to face. When he served people, when he prayed over people, when he healed people, when he met with people here, he called this dinner party. He took these 12 apart to an upper room. When he talked with people, he often pulled them aside and said, hey, let's have a conversation over here, you and I. When you serve someone, do so personally. When we serve people personally, face to face, you give that person dignity. You know, it's great to say, hey, I'm going to cut a $100 check, mail it to you, and good luck. We'll hope for the best, right? But to be there with that person, pray with them, spend time with them, keep them company, you give that person dignity, you give that person worth, you give that person a, a face-to-face moment with you. Man, you are showing the love of God. That's, that's your love uh, on display for that person. And can I say, when you serve people personally, other, other people notice that? It makes an impact on others. Can I just share very quickly something that we saw during the pandemic that was super cool? We had these food pantries, right? I have pictures of the food pantries here. Um, Some locations had them, some locations didn't. And as as the church had a a vision to feed 100 families a week, we said, what would it look like to feed 100 families a week during COVID? Man, that would be absolutely amazing. So we prayed and we fundraised and we partnered with Trader Joe's and with other grocery stores and they provided us food to to feed 100 people per week. Well then soon uh, other people were saying, hey, what are you guys doing on the corners here of the schools and of of Little Village and these other Midway and these other locations that had the food pantry and neighborhood people who had no connection with the church were saying, oh, you guys are feeding people? Hey, how could I help? And these people who had no connection with the church were drawn to come and serve. Why? Because we were meeting people's needs personally, face to face. Hey, here's a box of food. Can we pray for you? We'll put it in your car. Hey, we were masked up. We did social distance. We did everything. But I can't even tell you there are people now that are part of our church who are following Jesus. The way they came to know Jesus was not through a great sermon was not through a, a video message, was not through a, a, an invitation to church. Some people are sitting here, part of New Life Community Church, and they're following and living and loving for Jesus today because they first served in a food pantry. Because they saw the love of God on display to the community and said, hey, I want to help meet people's needs face to face. 
face to face. And I believe this is a tool. I believe this is a tool. And this goes for the young people here, the students and the young adults and, and, and those young like me as well, right? So to keep reaching out to young people with opportunities to serve others, to serve others. The greatest evangelistic tool we have as the church to reach young people is to get them to serve. And I love what Pastor uh, Tim Lucas, he wrote this book called Liquid Church. He says this, he says, For the next generation, compassionate service is the most effective on-ramp to evangelism. We found that before skeptical young adults embrace faith, before they embrace God, they first want to know that their faith will make a difference in people's life. Don't speak to me about your theology. I want to see your theology at work. And I want to see it blessing people. That's the mind of the young people today. And if we create opportunities, hey, what would it look like for every young person here to to partner up? And if you turn over on your sheet, on your notes, on the other side, there's there's a group project there. there. What would it look like for you to lead a group service project with some young adults or some classmates of yours or some neighbors of yours to say, hey, let's go over to this mission here in the neighborhood. Or let's go to the homeless shelter. Or let's go over here to the food pantry. Or let's go over here to the, to the mental health clinic and let's volunteer there. And, and what would it look like if you led that project? Could you think of three or four people to invite with you and say, hey, let's go just serve people. We don't have to go there, you know, proclaiming our faith to anyone. They will see our faith through our works. And they will know that we are alive in God by the way we serve others. So when you serve, do it personally. Do it personally. That food pantry that um, we prayed to feed 100 families a week, eventually, over the entirety of the pandemic, fed over 2.2 million people. It sounds crazy just to say that. I'm sorry. 30,000, 30,000 people every week, every week. One week, 30,000. Next week, 30,000. One week, 30,000. And as the weeks piled up, that number went up to 2.2 million people. Why? Because people rolled up their sleeves and said, hey, I just want to serve. But when I serve, I want to do it personally. I want to do it personally. And the last thing to consider when you serve, do it powerfully. Do it powerfully. When Jesus served others, he accessed the power of God we have access to that same mighty power. Again, I don't want you to ever think, well, I'm just praying for somebody. I'm just shoveling their snow. No, when you go shovel that snow, you pray, you trust that God will fill you with his mighty power to be a blessing to that person in ways that maybe they'll never understand. Look at what Jesus says here. This is the promise of Jesus in the Gospel of John 14. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. When you choose to serve, you should always go prayed up to say, God, please make this more than just me cutting someone's grass, just more than just me babysitting for someone. Pray, God, that you would touch their heart through the way you serve them, that they would come to know him. That there would be a dialogue, that God would spark a curiosity in their heart to say, hey, what is it about you that you just love serving people? And that you could then begin to listen to them and point them to Jesus. This is how we bless people in proximity, personally, 
and powerfully. Let me finish just putting this question in your mind. And, and on the other side there, there's, there's a real easy list of things you could do to serve. If you're saying, I don't know what to do, there's a whole list on the other side of simple things that you could do this week to serve someone. There's a group sheet there that you could work on and say, I want to organize a group outing so that we could show the love of God to people. But my question to you is this, what would happen to our community? What would happen to our city if everyone did this? Imagine if we became people who just became really obsessed and intent on serving one another. How could that change the culture of our society? How would that change the culture of our church? How would, how would that change the culture of your block or your, or your classroom or your club, your team? Think about that. If we really took this serious, this calling that Jesus puts on your life to serve one another in love, think about the effects that they would have on people. Think about the people who would step up and say, what are you guys doing over here on this corner? And hey, how do I get in? How do I get involved in this? Because it is the on-ramp to evangelism. This is the way that we bless people. Amen? Can we stand together?